Good morning. Nice to, nice to be here. Um, it's nice to see these, uh, this video of what God is doing in another part of Africa. Um, you know, he's talking about all these different rooms that are going to be used for different things. Kind of a, a, a vision of what you can't really see yet, but it's kind of uh, neat to, to think and, and uh, dream of what, what actually God is, God is doing in a very real way in that, that part of the, the country. And kind of like what he's doing in our lives. We may not see the final finished work yet, but he's, he's, at, he's at work. And hopefully, we trust that he's going to continue that work this morning as we look at his word together. Um, we're, Jeannie and I are here uh, on our way through. We left Colorado about a month ago, working our way slowly east, and we're heading up to Maine shortly. I'm glad to be able to teach here uh, this morning. Um, we've spent the last two years in the States, a year longer than we had planned, uh, back from Senegal. Uh, we, this, I think, is our, perhaps our fourth time here in those two years, and we're thankful that the Lord has opened the door for us to return there, Lord willing, next month in August. And Jeannie will fill you in a little bit more on our plan, so I won't say too much more about that. Uh, but we're grateful for your commitment to us as a church to be praying for us, uh, to be giving to us generously. Those all um, make it possible for us to be over there and continue to, to, to serve the Lord in, in your name. Uh, this morning I want to talk about decisions. Personally, we've faced a lot of decisions in, in the last two years. When we came back to the States, in fact, we were first living near Philadelphia in a parsonage of a, one of our churches up there. And I was meeting for breakfast once a week with the pastor of that church and just sharing about our life situation and you know, our, our kids, both he and I, and our future plans. And it was, it was almost comical because it seemed like every week our plans would change. Uh, all the boys were going through some, some uh, difficult times, and uh, be part in part because of that, in part because of other things, our travels, it seemed like every time we met together, I would have to tell them, well, yes, last week I told you we were going to do this, but now we're actually going to do something different. Uh, and so we, I realized, and I think he realized too, that our, our family has to hold our plans loosely. Um, but plans and decisions... Those are part of all of our lives, right? We all face many decisions throughout the day. Um, I mean, this morning, think about this morning. You know, what, when your alarm went off, do you get up right away? Do you snooze it once, twice, more? Uh, what, do you, uh, what do you eat for breakfast? You know, do you brush your teeth? Um, what do you, how do you respond to your spouse or your parent or your sibling or your roommate? Whatever situation, um, you know, what do you wear? And there's lots of decisions with regards to that. Um, so uh, there's a long list of decisions that, that you had to make even before coming here. And in fact, if you Google it, apparently each person makes about 35,000 decisions a day. So that's a lot of decisions. And... Most of them are minor, most of them I'm sure are, are not even conscious decisions we make, but some of them can be major and can really radically change the direction of our lives. Now, if 
making so many decisions a day, we ought to be pretty good at decision making, you would think. But why is it when we make so many decisions, where we have a lot of practice, why is it that we struggle often with making good decisions? Um, so I, I want to look at, at what God's Word has to say about that this morning together. And in fact, look at the life of one person uh, to see how this man teaches us to make bad decisions. Um, and then learn from that. And see what the bottom line issue was for him and therefore is, is for us. So the date... moment here. The decisions. The date is the 10th century before Christ. The setting is central Palestine, Israel. A great king has just died, and he'd begun his life in a very humble way, and he reached the pinnacle of human success. So this king was without doubt the wisest man to ever have lived, but he also had great glory and uh, wealth. His kingdom had grown, his prestige had, had, had grown around the world. And he wrote li- wisdom literature, which we still read today, 3,000 years later. He spent 20 years building a dazzling palace for a dazzling temple for his God and a magnificent palace for himself. But then in the, in the end of his life, he turned away from his God, and he worshipped, started following other gods. And so God brought adversaries, enemies into his life who badgered his kingdom from all directions. And one of his chief, the chief supervisors of his workforce actually rebelled and fled south to Egypt and uh, with a promise from God that he would one day have a share of this man's kingdom. So now this great king, we, where we, we're starting to read here, his, this great king, King Solomon, in all his glory, is dead. What's going to happen next? His son, Rehoboam, is next. Hmm, there. His son, Rehoboam, is next in line and expects to be king. In fact, all Israel has gathered at the city of Shechem to crown him as the next leader. But then something unexpected comes up a crisis situation. Kind of an unannounced test, like a a pop quiz, but one that your entire year's grade depends on. Uh, And so um, it's a difficult situation. The man who had rebelled against Rehoboam's father Solomon and fled south is here. And the people aren't happy. They're making a very bold request, uh, clamoring for uh, that Rehoboam would cut back the heavy work burden that his father Solomon had placed on the people. Uh, they said, if, the, if, you, if you lower, decrease our burden, then we'll follow you, we'll, we'll serve you. So this new king, Rehoboam, is faced with a crisis decision. And it's not something he'd planned for. It's forced on him. It's not the smooth sailing of a coronation ceremony that he'd anticipated. Uh, people are not happy. A popular rebel is leading them. Talk about a stressful and unwelcome situation, right? And life is like that. Things come up. Things seem like they're on track and going well, and all of a sudden an unexpected crisis comes up, and a decision is there that you're stuck with that won't go away until you make it. 
an unexpected crisis decision. Have you ever faced one of those? Um, we have, certainly, and one that we've, we've shared about, um, you may remember, took place a, uh, about a year and a half ago, actually, it was actually New Year's Eve, so December 31st, 2019, we got a, a phone call from Bikar, Senegal, and uh, had anything to do with our house. We've been, been in the States for, for six months already, more or less, and um, we got a phone call about our house. The, the landlord said he wanted it back. Now, we'd been living there for, for four months already. Uh, I'm sorry, for four years we'd spent in this house. The whole time we'd spent in, in, in Senegal. Um, and we'd, when we came back to the States, our plan was to go back to the same house. So we left all our stuff there. We put it all in one room, but we left a lot of our stuff out, our furniture and, and whatnot, for other people to use. And Grace Ripley, whom you know, and, and uh, some other single women were subletting it from us. We're thankful they were able to, to benefit from that and thankful for the, the help that they were uh, helping with the, the rent. We were help, thankful for that we could leave our stuff there because it's really hard to find another place to live in, um, in the car and get it set up the way you like it. Uh, thankful that our kids were going back to a new place, that they, to, to a place that they already knew that was not a new place. And then all that changed on New Year's Eve with that, that phone call. Uh, a landlord there can do that. We had relatives who were coming from out of country and needed a place to live in Dakar. And so there was, you know, what, what were we gonna do? He, uh, he normally is supposed to give us six months notice, but because we're out of the country, he said he had tried, but by the time we finally got a hold of us, we had less than three months to, to move our, to, to from the US to move all of our stuff out of there. We had, at March 10th was the deadline he gave us. And so that was a shock because we thought we had everything lined up when we left. Uh, we'd made done, taken a lot of steps to make sure that we would have a, a good place to come, come back. Um, so how, you know, what were we going to do? Because we had a, a whole set of, we had things lined up through the summer. We had, and that did not include a trip back to Senegal. Um, we, where would we store all of our stuff? You can't find uh, storage units in the car. There is no such thing. Um, and uh, what would Grace and the other women do? Would they be able to find housing on such short notice? Lots of questions, trying to decide what to do. And it's really a, came down to a question of trust. God, why are you allowing this to happen? What are you, why, why now? This is really not at all what we had, what we had bargained for. Um, so maybe you're facing an unexpected crisis decision now with, I don't know, with a, a friend or a parent or someone dating in classes, job, an ethical decision, future plans. They come, those kind of things come in, in all sizes, but into all of our lives, right? And um, we don't plan for them, we don't want them, but there they are. So in Rehoboam's situation, what would you have done? What would you have done? He went through quite a decision process, actually, and we can read about it in Second Chronicles 10. In fact, let's, let's do that. Rehoboam went to Shechem. 
for all Israel had gone there to make him king. So 2 Chronicles 10, verses 1 to 5. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, because he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt, and so they sent for Jeroboam, the future king, I'm sorry, the, the, rep, the rebel, and he, there's a Jeroboam and a Rehoboam here, and it's a little confusing. Rehoboam, think R for reign or ruler. Um, J, Jeroboam, jerk maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, although the other guy was kind of a jerk too, as we'll find out. But um, they sent for this guy Jeroboam, and he and all Israel went to Jeroboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke you put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Come back to me in three days. And so the people went away. So the first thing Rehoboam did was he put off the decision for by three days. Right? He, he, didn't, he, didn't answer, he didn't answer the people right away. That, makes, that sounds like a good idea, right? To, 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 to put off the decision, maybe take some time to pray, to seek advice. And you could say that in this decision, Rehoboam tried hard. And yet he ended up, as we'll see, making a bad decision. Um, if he was an author, we don't know if he was or not, but if he was an author, he could have written a manual on decision-making, like a book, how to make, how to make a decision. But in case, his case, of course, it wouldn't have been a book, but a scroll, because this was a long time ago. And you realize this is a really, really ancient document. So we don't have the original anymore, but I do have, was able to get my hands on a scanned copy of it. As you can see, the scroll by Rehoboam, how to try hard but make a bad decision. Um, so he has five principles in this manual, in this scroll that we discovered. And um, that first principle in his poor decision-making manual would be this, to avoid praying. Avoid praying. So, I don't know if you noticed, but in the, in the verses we read, in the, 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 the chapter as a whole, we're not told anywhere that he spent any time in prayer. What a contrast with his father Solomon, who at the beginning, beginning of his reign, when he was offered anything he wanted, valued wisdom from God above all else. So if you want to make a poor decision, first of all, don't consult God. Next chapter in his book would have been entitled, Ask for token advice, but don't follow it. Um, uh, Rehoboam consults with his father's advisors. These were the men that had advised the wisest man on earth. Uh, seems like a smart mood. Solomon himself had written that without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Uh, so he talks to these wise men, and what do they say? Let's read uh, verses 6 and 7 here. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer those people, he asked. And they replied, if you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. So three different ways those advisors tell him to listen to the people, right? To be kind to them, please them, give them a favorable answer. Uh, how more strongly could you put that? Um, and yet, 
Rehoboam does not take their advice. Um, we should have listened to something that his father said, which is that pride leads to conflict, but those who take advice are wise. Not just ask for advice. Asking for advice is good, but you should have taken their advice. That's what wisdom is about. But he decided apparently early on not to follow it, even, as we'll see, even before he, t- he asks for a second opinion. Um, why is that? I don't know exactly, but he had grown up in luxury, so presumably not something he expected. By today's standards, you might, today's term might be entitled. He had probably undoubtedly had an, a degree of entitlement in his, in his uh, way of looking at things. For whatever reason, and we'll get to the bottom line, uh, he didn't like the advice, and so he didn't take it. Okay, so uh, don't pray. Ask for token advice, but don't follow it. Thirdly, uh, third chapter, make friends with people who will appeal to your pride. Choose your friends. And, uh, so he turns to the young men that had grown up with them, his friends. And he asks them for their advice. What do they say? Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him, even presumably before he talked to these these friends, right? Um, And consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Well, the young men who had grown up with him replied, the people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Uh, Very different advice. Um, They basically tell him to tell the people, you guys haven't seen anything. You thought it was hard? Just wait and see what I do to you. Uh, I'll show you what heavy-duty work is. Uh, my dad used whips to punish you. I'm going to add little bits of sharp metal to these whips, which is what the scorpions were. Um, so his friends were saying, you know, show them who's boss. Show them you're in charge. Don't let them shove you around. They appealed to his pride, and they probably told him what he wanted to hear. And so to make a poor decision, make unwise friends who will appeal to your pride. The next principle would be to follow your peers. Uh, You know, he probably wanted relevant advice from his generation, the up-and-coming leaders of the day, and you can tell that he relies heavily on their opinion when he says says this, "How how should we answer these people who say to me? And then when they answer him, they say, now tell them, or literally, you will tell the people such and such, right? Sounds like his friends are having way too much of an influence in his decision-making. I mean, who's making the decision anyway? Is it the king or is it his servants? Rehoboam was following their advice. So if you want to make a poor decision like Rehoboam, blindly follow your peer group without sifting their advice. So to make a, a poor decision... Don't pray, ask for token advice, make the kind of friends who appeal to your pride, and then follow your peers' advice without, without sifting it. And fifth, 
to make a poor decision, look out for yourself, not for others. Um, you know, when, when Rehoboam first put off the decision for three days, I would have thought he would make some kind of diplomatic speech to encourage the people that I have your best interest in mind. But all he says is come back in three days. And then three days later, when he gives the man's answer, his answer, his answer is harsh and cruel and severe. Now let's read what he says. In verse 12, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam. As the king had said, come back to me in three days. So the king answered them harshly. Rejecting the advice of the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. And so the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from God to fulfill the word that the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. So he promises to make the load worse and threatens them with cruel punishments. He tries to lord it over his people. He's not, he's trying to exploit them like other pagan rulers of his day did, right? He didn't realize that um, in his arrogance that the position that God was giving him was to, to benefit others. Jesus spoke on that, Matthew 20, 25 to 28, that people in the, in the world lord it over each other, but those who are disciples should serve others. Um, and Rehoboam, as a leader, did not have his people's best interest in mind. A good leader cares about his people, and that's not what he was doing. My wife taught elementary school a few years. The first couple years we were married, she taught elementary school in Lanham, uh, fifth grade for a couple years. And then the last year we were in Dakar, she taught again. Uh, and this is a picture of a third grade class, the school where our, our kids went. Um, and... Uh, one thing that impresses me about her is how she can be pretty clear and um, firm with her kids and yet also make it clear that she really cares for them. And if you've seen her in action, you know that she can, she can take somebody aside and be quite direct with, with, with them. Uh, and yet, when she's done, she'll, she'll smile, she'll pat them on the back, she'll say something encouraging so that you know the, the boy or the girl knows that she really cares about them. She's not just trying to lord it over, over them. But that's not what Rehoboam did. And so if you want to make a poor decision and antagonize people, have Rehoboam's objective of looking out for yourself and not for the people in your care. So Rehoboam followed these five principles. Here they are. In making his decision, in a sense, it was a small decision, right? It only took three days. They asked him a question, he talked about it with a few people, came back, gave them his answer, planned to go home. But it had some pretty major consequences. The people's response was immediate and angry. If you look at the rest of the chapter, uh, this, is what, this is what they said. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So all the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Let's go to the end of the, the chapter here. King Rehoboam sent out 
Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but the Israelites stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem, and so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of Israel to this day. He categorically rejected him. There was no, no hesitation. There was an angry mob in front of him saying, we want nothing to do with you. We're going to follow this other guy. They turned their back on him. They were angry. And Rehoboam sent out the man who was in charge of all the laborers, kind of his secretary of labor. But the Israelites were done talking. They, they stoned him to death. The king had tried to make a show of strength to act tough. Now he was fleeing for his life back to Jerusalem. And from now on, he would only rule the southern part of what had once been a great kingdom. Only two out of the 12 tribes were now left in his control. And this division would last for centuries. So small decisions can have really big consequences. And we need to realize that that's the case for us too. That small decisions can have big consequences. Think about World War I. Those of you who are history buffs, that was started by, what, the assassination of one person in a, what's a fairly obscure town to us, Sarajevo, a guy named Franz Ferdinand. Someone has said that these two shots that were fired ended up killing over 8 million peoples in the next following four years of World War, of the Great War. Um, small decisions can have big consequences. Um, we've seen that in the car as well. We would we often go to a beach to swim, a place called Yolf Beach. Um, and it's, it's about 20 minutes from our house. So on a day off, we sometimes go there. And we hadn't been in the country for very long when we, some of us at least, were, were there on a, on a day. And um, somebody ran over to us and asked us, do you know how to swim? Uh, there's somebody out there who's, who's drowning. He doesn't know how to swim and he's way out in the water. It's right on the, on the ocean, so it's uh, some big waves. Um, and uh, by the time I got there, other people were bringing him back to land. And uh, we, different ones of us tried CPR on him, but it was too late. He was dead. So it just seemed like a small decision to go for a swim, and yet some massive consequences in that young man's life. Um, and maybe you can remember a time when your, maybe your, your parent or your sibling said something to you, something that they thought was pretty minor, something, just a few words, maybe good or bad, and, but since in the years since, you haven't forgotten it. Our small decisions can have really big consequences. And yes, in this passage, if you were, were, you were following along there, you saw that God, it says specifically that God was in control. And thankfully, he always is in control. Um, in this case specifically, this was to fulfill a prophecy that he had made, that God had made years earlier to this man, Jeroboam. But does that relieve the king of his, his responsibility in this? No, it does not. Um, the fact that God was in control, God's work in this manner, does not relieve the king of his responsibility to act wisely in his decisions. And we, these five steps are all steps that the king made in his decision. And in a sense, it's the, the primary focus of this passage here, is this, the human decision that the king made. In other words, you and I can make a decision that's going to lock us into pain for the rest of our lives. So let's be careful in our decisions. So these... Uh, 
this, our decisions can have big consequences. We've also looked at uh, these five steps for making a poor decision. So is that it? Do we simply follow these five steps? And voila, we have a, uh, we're, we're make a, if we don't follow them, we're we make a good decision. Is that it? I, it seems like there's got to be a little more to it than this. Um, I wonder if there's a, an underlying principle that is not in Rehoboam's decision-making manual here that we've been looking at. Uh, I mean, he should have known. His, he had the best advisors in the world. They had advised the most, in, the wisest man on earth. And he himself was this man's son. Who knows, he might have helped to compile Proverbs. Uh, he certainly would have been exposed to them. So why in the world did he make that kind of a bad decision? What was the bottom line? Um, it's interesting to see what his successor, his son, eventually, when looking back at this account, what he said about it. If you look at a couple chapters later, um, we can see what, what his son said about it. His son Abijah said this, that some worthless scoundrels gathered around Jeroboam, the rebel, and opposed Rehoboam, son of Solomon, when he was young and indecisive and not strong enough to resist him. So his son takes that kind of as the, the bottom line. The problem was that his dad was, Rehoboam at the time, was too timid, too young, and didn't make a good decision. And that probably played a part, undoubtedly, but was that it? Of course, the, the most important question is what does God say about all this, right? And so let's look at how the narrator, writing from God's perspective, summarizes Rehoboam's entire life. He says this. This is the verdict. That he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking God. He did evil because he had not set his heart to seek the Lord. Um, the bottom line then, and really the theme for chapters 10 to 12, is that Rehoboam had not set, established, fixed, directed his heart to seek God. The heart, our heart is crucial. But let's look at these five principles of poor decision making and see how, they, see how they would fit, how they would change if Rehoboam's heart had been set on seeking the Lord. Uh, for starters... If he had set, uh, set his heart on seeking God, Rehoboam would have prayed earnestly during those three days. Proverbs 2 talks about taking a hold of wisdom, holding her fast. If he had set his heart to seek God, that would have involved a lot of time before him in prayer. Rehoboam sought mature advice. That was good, but if he had been seeking God, he would have not been so quick to abandon that advice. Third, if Rehoboam had been seeking God, he would have chosen his friends wisely and not let them appeal to his pride. Right? You see how this, this attitude of, of seeking God affects all of these different steps here. Uh, because Rehoboam was not seeking God, he followed his group of friends without duly sifting their, their advice. Now, when we set our hearts to seek God and to know him and his word, and in the wisdom he gives us, we're better able to recognize foolish advice for what it is. Um, and five, because Rehoboam was not seeking what God wanted, uh, he chose to bully his people rather than to serve them. Um, answered them harshly and alienated them because he was not, had not set his heart to seek God. So all these areas are impacted by the fact that Rehoboam did not set his heart 
to seek God. Have you and I determined to set our hearts to seek God? Because that's really the bottom line here in this passage, the key point to remember. Uh, to set our hearts to seek God. It's an issue of our heart and the direction of our hearts. So what's that mean practically to do that, to set our hearts to seek God? Um, certainly the first step is to come to God on his own terms. Uh, you know, we do have a heart problem. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Our heart is a, our heart is a big this is a big part of the problem, right? And so the, the first step is to allow God to change our hearts, to come to him, to him, recognizing that we're desperately sick, that our heart is desperately sick, that um, we are not just sinners, but sinners helpless to save ourselves. And that's why Jesus came and died in our place, the penalty, the punishment that we deserve, came back to life showing that his payment was accepted, acceptable to, to the Father, and it's a matter of us placing our, our trust in him and what he's done, right? And that's, so the, the first step is, is in setting our heart to seek God is to, to come to him in, in faith like this, and maybe that's the step you need to take. But of course, just like in a marriage, day one is the wedding day, but then you have the whole rest of your relationship uh, for the rest of life. And after we've come to know God, we don't struggle with setting our hearts to seek him anymore, right? Or do we? I think we, I think we, we still do. I think it's a, it's a, a very, very regular issue that we face. Um, and often we can tell what our, if our heart is set on seeking God by whether, what our, not so much our thought-out actions are, but what our reactions are to different situations, right? Uh, if I, how do I react to, in a relationship or in a situation, is it you know, jealousy or critical attitude or apathy or selfishness or, that, so those kind of things show us if our heart is really seeking God. Um, it's vital. Well, we've seen an example of what not to do in Rehoboam's life, in decision-making, uh, but practically, after salvation, what does it mean to determine to seek God? It means to, to choose to rely on him, trusting that he's really there and that he cares about the intimate aspects of our lives. Um, just uh, is this course of our of my life, you know, set on it. I made major decisions in my life to follow God, but also on the moment by moment and day to day decisions. Am I following Him? Um, he wants to be involved in our life. Stepping back one generation from Rehoboam to what David said to Solomon. Um, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve Him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. Wow, that's quite, the, quite, a, um, quite a strong statement about how much our motives and our desires and our intents and our willingness matter to God. 
Um, it's not our relationship with him is less a matter of do's and don'ts than it is one of the heart. And specifics will vary, and may vary from case to case, but whatever those specifics are, they're going to be affected by the direction of your heart. Um, and again, it comes back to trusting. Our relationship with him begins in trusting and continues in trusting. In the situation I mentioned earlier, where our landlord in Senegal wanted our, our house back, um, we, uh, we had no idea what to do. So we, were, we had to trust the Lord, and we certainly prayed, um, and we appealed to the landowner, to the landlord, and he, he, can, he wouldn't change his mind. Um, we asked for an extension. Nope, sorry, can't do that. Uh, so we had to change our speaking plans, and I flew back alone mid-February 2020 to Dakar. And um, God provided an apartment for us there, an apartment, not a house, but an apartment that we could rent, and we've been renting since then. Um, and uh, so a lot, much, much more uh, easy to do financially. We could store our stuff in one of the bedrooms, the other bedroom. The two young men, Bagar and Burhana, who are in our care there, that uh, we, they were living in another place, a couple of different places, and we moved them into the apartment. So they're sharing one bedroom, and then uh, our stuff is in, in a part of the house, and they're using the furniture. Um, Grace found, and the other women found, uh, other good house housing options. Um, I got to spend a week with Tim, because uh, he came over and helped us in the move, and I, I love that. Tim, Colin, Alan have been over there. We've really enjoy, appreciated being able to get to know some of y'all over in, in Senegal. Uh, and, in, you know, the, if we had waited for six months, which we thought would have been the best solution, then that would have put us in June 2020, in the, right in the middle of the pandemic, and we couldn't have gotten over there to, to move stuff out of the apartment. Uh, and if we'd been over there, we couldn't have come back here. So really, as it was, Tim and I almost got s stuck over in Senegal before the, the travel restrictions. Um, but God provided as we set our hearts to, to trust him. Our decision to go back to Senegal, now that was another hard decision. I'll let Jenny fill you in on, the, on that. Uh, but I do want to say a couple things in closing. Uh, one of them is, uh, leads to a prayer request. I can think back on my own experience as a young man, thinking how my poor choices at the end of high school, my beginning of college, were affected by this heart attitude of mine, not to, um, at the time, not to, not, I was not seeking God. And I made, I, I messed up in all five of those areas. But those weren't the bottom line. The bottom line is where, where my life was heading, my, what my heart was pursuing. Uh, and I can see that in our two older boys' lives. Uh, we, you know, we stayed an extra year in the States now because we felt it was important for us to be near them because they were going through some, some struggles. Uh, they're doing much better now, but they're still, ni and neither one of them are, at this point, have their hearts set on seeking God. And so that does affect their decisions. We are concerned, and we ask you to pray for Elijah and Corbin that the Lord would get a hold of of their hearts. Um, for their 21 and, and 20. Uh, but this attitude of seeking God affects all of our decisions and goals, even small ones, 
finances, time management, relationships, you name it. As you make some of these 35,000 decisions you make every day, let's set our hearts on seeking him. And uh, since many of our decisions are in the area of relationships, just uh, in closing, think of one relationship you may have with somebody um, that may be stressful right now. You know, parent, sibling, child, other student, whatever. Think of, maybe, maybe you don't have any stressful relationships, but uh, if, you, if you do think of one, or think of a decision that you may be making soon. And have you set your heart to seek God in that? What would it look like? You know, are you, are, are you, um, are, are you pursuing what's best for that person? Or are you, are you in it for yourself? Uh, one of the points of Miraboam's manual there. Um, how would determining in your heart to seek God in this area affect that relationship or that decision? Because determining to, see, to set our hearts to seek God should be not just a general attitude, but something that affects the very details of our relationships and decisions in our life. So let me close in prayer and uh, ask God to help us to seek him in, in these, these things. Thank you, Father, for uh, the chance to to look at your word, thank you for the challenge. Um, give us, help us to, to set our hearts on seeking you. In Jesus' name, amen.